Hope you are enjoying this late fall, and we have a lot of stuff to keep you indoors if the weather gets bad or you just don't want to go outside because it's terrifying. We'll talk to our guest Robert Hunt and the St. Louis International Film Festival is going on right now. We'll talk about that. Around minute 19, Freaky. Around minute 25, Ammonite. Around minute 31, Hillbilly Elegy. Around minute 39, Pieces of a Woman. Around minute 40, The Climb. Around minute 44, Fat Man. Around minute 51, the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special. Around minute 55, The Crown. Around minute 59, The Queen's Gambit. Around one hour, Moonbase 8. Around one hour and two minutes, The Belushi Documentary. Around one hour and 10 minutes, Bond, James Bond. Around one hour and 16 minutes, A Rainy Day in New York City. And then around one hour and 18 minutes, The State of Theaters in the United States. How are you, Carl? I'm well, Lynn. How are you doing? So far, so good. I just got out of quarantine, so... Yet we're still socially distanced, which is good. I know. And uh, I would like to introduce our guest. He's one of our colleagues in the St. Louis Film Critics Association, Robert Hunt. Hello there. Hi, Robert. Okay. I'm feeling kind of cabin fever a lot these days. There are days when I just feel like I haven't been out of my house in, you know, who knows how long and... (laughs) I know, doesn't get it? Further than, than a block away. When you are really seriously in quarantine, like forced to quarantine, mm-hmm. you realize how little that little just movements that you take for granted. Right. But I have a feeling that we're going to be in cabin of fever for a while now because the end of the year isn't going to be the end of the virus. So and I also okay. think there's, there's a good chance that at as of the day we are uh, recording this, I think we are going to see some necessary uh, restrictions coming down the road pretty soon. So let's hope so. Right. So uh, your streaming services aren't going away anytime soon. And all the movies I saw this week opened in theaters. Same. <laughs> well, actually, that's not true. That's not true. I saw the Star Wars Lego holiday special. Okay. And that's, on, that's on Disney Plus. All right. Well, so, but the, the theatrical releases are actual theatrical releases. And so we will, we will get into them. But the big thing locally right now, which you can watch from the comfort of your couch in your PJs, is the St. Louis International Film Festival. And it, it is a midpoint right now, and it will run through November 22nd. However, there are some films that are timed. So I want to give a shout out to this theatrical documentary called On Broadway, which is about how theater is adapting in New York to the changes because Broadway is not going to be back till June of 2021. Right. And uh, in the preview, I saw Sir Ian McKellen. Is he the host? Yes. He is the host. And so it is available through the 15th. So you got till midnight. So go to cinemastlouis.org, get the film list, click on it. It's really easy process through Aventive, and it's not that expensive. Well, I just want to say that I saw the Hill documentary. I watched it again, and I am happy to say they trimmed out about five minutes of it that (laughs) When from the St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase that we saw it six months ago, yes. they, that was more for a St. Louis thing. They, t- they tightened it up and made it more international because they oh. saw that how many people were watching it internationally. 
It is a better film with those five minutes gone. And I didn't, I thought it was fine. And I, I really like it a lot more since they tightened it up because there was, as I said, Lynn, when we reviewed it originally, there was that cheesy little part say, now we're going to talk about food. They took that out. And, oh. and so they tightened it up and it's, it's only like 70, 72 minutes now. So I, I, I recommend it even more so than I did six months ago. Well, I attended the masterclass yesterday afternoon with Ken. With Ken, Cox. I missed it. Well, you can still you can still get it, and that's a free one. And it was wonderful. He does the nine tips for directing, and then he told anecdotes, and they were wonderful. And we asked questions, and our friend Pete Timmerman was the MC along with uh, Cliff, and they were the ones that asked questions, and it was really fun. And I uh, learned a lot. And he showed clips from films, too, to illustrate his points. Nice. Which were really good. He showed the scene from Schindler's List that, not Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, but still, these are movies that you really don't want to watch again. But it reminds yeah. you of how beautiful uh, Spielberg, how poignant Spielberg filmed the, the his his shot his shot choices for when Mrs. Ryan sees the chaplain vehicle coming to her home again and she goes out to the porch so you don't see her face reaction you see her body language so he was talking about how body language can tell parts and he also showed um a scene from all quiet in the western front with the soldier and the butterfly oh you mean the very last scene of the movie <laughs> <laughs> so it's real it's a but well you know spoiler alert it's a what 60 year old movie yeah it's so, about world war one yeah so but i mean he had really nice shots he talked about sisterhood of the traveling pants do you talk about he said she said no why i have a uh seemingly irrelevant but not quite story back in 1979 i was rather foolishly running a non-theatrical film series i didn't know that you weren't supposed to use your own money when you did that sort of thing <laughs> uh, but we were showing films in 16 at the uh, unitarian church in the west end and one week these two young men showed up and one of them said that he was a student filmmaker and he didn't have a projector and wanted to know if we would show his film before ours just so he had a chance to see it on the screen and most of them were very abstract uh, pictures. One of them was a parody of a film trailer uh, that I thought was very, very clever. And that was Ken Quapis. Ah! <laughs> so he was- Yeah, doing, no, that's a great college. fact. Yes. That's a great fact. Um, we went to the same grade school. He was in my sister's class. Huh. So I've known him first. So I followed him since Follow That Bird. And uh, he talked a lot about the, his- uh, TV shows, you know, The Office, he, how he launched The Office and how he was part casting and and things like that. And, and the Larry Sanders show was groundbreaking and he directed the first episode of that and plus other things. And he said, uh, he talked about how challenging it was. But I highly recommend going to the Masterclass a segment on SLIP website and you can, 
you can hear the, um, you know, you can replay it. You don't get to ask questions, but you get to replay it. And next week is going to, I'm going to sign up for this Bo Willimon who wrote Farragut North, which was turned into the eyes of March and also was the showrunner for the American version of house of cards. He's from St. Louis and he's going to do a masterclass in screenwriting. You can go to cinemastlouis.org slash Sliff, S-L-I-F-F. Robert, what has been your favorite highlight from the Sliff so far? Uh, well, as I was saying earlier before we started taping, aside for various reasons, personal and otherwise, I have not uh, spent a lot of time on the Sliff films this year, other than the documentaries that we are judging. I do want to note, even even though the film's been available on uh, Peacock since July, I was pleased to see that they were showing The Sit-In, which is the documentary about an event that I did not recall a week in early 1968 when Harry Belafonte was basically given carte blanche to host The Tonight Show for a week and bring on whoever he wanted. And it's a, the film is very good about both establishing Belafonte's choices and also putting them within the cultural context of the time, because in addition to bringing... Petula Clark and the Smothers Brothers and Paul Newman. He also had Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy on the yeah. show that week. Um, most of the actual episodes of the show, they say, are lost. Um, but uh, it's, it's a very interesting documentary about an admittingly, admittedly minor piece of American history. And yet it does a good job of telling us why these people were doing what they were doing. <laughs> and and, one, and why a lot of people really love Hel- Harry Belafonte, because they weren't mm-hmm. uh, necessarily... Uh, that that's how they were in- introduced to him because he hosted the Tonight Show for a week. Mm-hmm. And it also gets into the context of um, the controversiality of the Smothers Brothers, although it doesn't bring up something that also involved Belafonte on their show later that year when they got CBS very mad by commenting on the Chicago uh, Democratic Convention by having Belafonte right. sing a song called Come Join the Carnival. Uh, but it gets into the Petula Clark uh, touching his arm on a TV special and how Southern TV <laughs> station, how the, the corporate sponsor completely freaked out. Ah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very interesting film. And if you do happen to admire Harry Belafonte and some of these other people as I do, it's it's uh, actually pretty extraordinary. So I was pleased to see that they were giving that a bit more exposure. There are also a lot of films that Lynn and I have talked about on previous Real Times Trio. Uh, they had The Dark Divide with David Cross. That is a selection. Uh, they also have uh, the Zappa film that we w- were going to be talking about. And there was one more that we've already... We, I'm like, oh, wait, this is part of Sliff. I've already seen this. And so <laughs> it's it's surprising what's there. And there are also there are things for kids. There are, there are animation things. There are foreign films. There's a lot of LGBTQ films. There, and you can actually go to the website, cinemastlouis.org slash Sliff, and you can do it by genre or subcategory. And you can, you can, there's something for everyone at Sliff, and it's really not that expensive. And once you start it, you got two days to watch it. That's true. 48 hours is really a, a great uh, time frame in case you have to leave and come back. There are some, talking about archival documentaries, there's quite a few this year, uh, and they explore uh, social issues that now we take for granted, but because of the activism 50 years ago, there's Cured, which is about the LGBTQT 
uh, movement about removing uh, homosexuality as a mental illness yeah. from the Psychiatric Association. There's nine to five, the story of a movement about women office workers rising up for fair pay. And uh, that led to a lot of um, uh, awareness on sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. And and then there's uh, there's quite there's quite a few that I think well the MLK FBI which is about how Martin Luther King Jr. was harassed by Hoover, yeah, <laughs> which we've known, but this is more great detail. So if you're fascinated by social change and what's happened, those are a couple other ones as and then well. There's some that took place like over in Illinois, finding Yingling or Ying Ying Ying. Yeah. Took place over on the other side of the river. That's one of my favorites because uh instead it's a true crime and it could have been a dateline or a 48 hours, but the filmmaker personally knew the victim, yeah. went to school with her, and she had access to the family, which she was their translator which other people would never have gotten. And also because of that access to the family, the cultural aspect of it is more brought out, which is really good, but I really liked her choices. So I recommend that highly. And then, yeah. And then there's the Chicago movie about the uh, uh, Black Lives Matter movement with the two, two girls that are called unapologetic. Yeah. Also, um, there's a studio in Chicago, Cart, I never say this right, Cardam Quinn, Cardam Quinn, and that's where Steve James yeah, got his that's, start. That, that was the, who produced the movie. Yeah, and his, his documentary series, City So Real, which was just on PBS, I think, and is available in Sliff, it is about Chicago. Well, you've mentioned all of the ones that we were going to talk about, except for two. One that I watched with my daughter, Queen of Hearts, which is a it's that's about art. And that's about Audrey Flack, the uh, painter, photorealist artist. I, I watched that with my daughter. I watched the Audrey Flack film quite a bit. And I want to say uh, there's a painting that the St. Louis Art Museum owns of hers. They have not had it on display on in years. It's called uh, Buddha with Pearls. And oh. I fell in love with that painting the first time I saw it sometime in the 1970s. And I, it may be my favorite of all of their many, many acquisitions. So I was, and Audrey Flack as the film just sort of fell out of the public eye for a while. Yeah. And I had sort of wondered why we hadn't seen any work from her. So I, I thought that was an excellent film. And she's still alive. And my yeah. daughter wants to be an artist. So I showed that, I showed that film. I watched 10 minutes of it and I said, well, I'm going to start this over and show this to my teenager before she decides to go away to art school on me. But then there's one I wouldn't even watch with my wife. That was Dilemma of Desire. Well, I was going to say, when you first said you watched a movie with your daughter, I was going to say. But I will say it taught me um, a oh, lot. Really? I, I don't know. if Even if you're very sexually open, I don't know if you'd want to watch this with your partner. It's I mean, I learned a lot. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I grew up in an era where we did not discuss any of this, nothing. And then I went to Catholic school. So, you know, 50 years ago, I was at a distinct disadvantage. Yeah. So, so, but I liked how bold it was. 
I kept rewinding to see all the little rules that they had. Because there, oh, yeah, there are 95 the, the, the art The art exhibit with yeah. the, the 70 laws, was it? 95, I think. Or 100. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. But they're not just laws about sex. They're laws about treating people humanely and being nice. Right. And just about uh, society, how we have ignored it. If, if females were not in the, the first Grey's Anatomy, what does that tell you? Now, there, there is, now, I do have a beef with that. There is a disclaimer at the end of the movie, and they say that they're using a very specific edition. They're, they're using the uh, abridged version in that. The unabridged has the women in there, but they have, it's in very small print at the very end. It says, the version of Grey's Anatomy that we use is the abridged edition, which doesn't dilute their point any. It's just that it's funny to see it that way. No, I will say, I think this uh, slip, the, the selections, I think, and I think Brian Spath has a lot to do with the docs, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong. He used to, and the shorts. They, it's very female forward this year. It's very feminist, and it's very activism. Well, you forgot one. We, we have mentioned all of the s- seven of the eight that we have that we have. Uh, are judging this year we've not mentioned river city drumbeat which is really well done but it's not very straightforward of a story no river city drumbeat shows the power of music and how it can create communities which is what i really like and that's you know music's the universal language and so many people have used music to get out of their circumstances to uh you know it's just I don't know. Anytime you showcase music having an effect on people's lives, I like that. Okay. I just, I didn't think it, I, I, I thought it had a strong narrative that it was trying to achieve. And then they jumped around from, uh, all right. But it's still, it's still very well done. And the power of music is, is great. And I, I like that. It's just, was, it just wasn't one of my favorites. Well, one of the narrative before, um, since we're going to jump back to the docs later, one of the narratives that is available in the series is The Artist's Wife, which is Bruce Dern and Lena Olin, and it, and it features Meadow Nee from O'Fallon, Illinois. Oh. She's one of the art students, and she's an actress in New York, and she's wonderfully talented, and I know her, and I want to give her a plug again. Oh, oh I see how it is. Yeah, but uh, the reason we are gathered together today is uh, we are the panel, we are the jury for the Joe Williams Award for documentary that the St. Louis film critics give out every year. Yes, and but there are films in theaters right now, and we can stay. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? We can stay uncomfortable, or we can go to uh, populist. Let's let's go populist because I didn't I didn't get to see Freaky, but you did, Lynn. Robert, did you see it? I have, no. Lynn, you saw Freaky. I, I did. hear it's actually pretty good. I it is. It is very good. First of all, Christopher Landon is the director, and he is the co-writer. And Michael he is Landon's the, son. Yes. He is responsible for the previous horror comedy mashups, uh, or not mashups, but horror comedy genre mix, 
Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, which I enjoyed. And I was very surprised. The first one is horror comedy, and the second one is more science fiction comedy. But they're both comedies, and they both have have a through line. And I... Does he say that this is in the same universe as that? This is. This is, uh, I think he's going to be known for this mashup. The screenplay is by Michael Kennedy. And he came up with the idea of mixing Freaky Friday with Friday the 13th. It's odd. No one has ever done that before. No. So this is why this is fresh and it's fun. So you have the body swap teenage movie, and then you have the slasher horror film. And believe me, they do not shy away from the gruesomeness. It is very hard R in terms of bloodbath and carnage. So you are warned. So it's not bloodless violence. It is, is it torture porn? No, it's just, um, I would say, a shop teacher, Alan Ruck, comes <laughs> to a very grisly demise. Oh, well, what, that's a spoiler. <laughs> well, you, you know it's going to happen because it's just the way these movies go. So okay. this girl, only in Hollywood could a girl who's bullied be very beautiful and, and uh, likable. Catherine Newton from uh, Gary Unmarried and Big Little Lies. Yeah. So she plays a mousy, a mousy girl, and uh, her name is Millie. Mm -hmm. And her father died a year ago. Her mother is just paralyzed by grief and drinks a bottle of Chardonnay every night. And so she's not really there for her girls. Her sister is a cop. How convenient. And uh, so, so anyway, Millie gets bullied by the by the mean girls at high school, and the town where they live is called Blissfield. So you can imagine it's this parody of horror movie tropes, and her best friends are a, a black girl and a gay guy. Wow, it is! It's like a Disney Channel production. <laughs> so it's really. And and uh, so the serial killer is an it's urban gone. legend, the Blissfield Butcher. And apparently 20 years ago, he killed some people at homecoming. And so these it starts off with these four telling the Blissfield Butcher story. And lo and behold, the butcher arrives in time to slash kids up again as the homecoming nears. So the butcher is played by Vince Vaughn. Yes. Who's got the physicality of a hulking maniac. And but well, he's he got to play two different parts, right? Right. But he also shows off what a comedic actor he is because he's going to stab Millie. She's the, she's the high school mascot, a beaver. Mm-hmm. And he's going to stab her with this ancient Aztec dagger that he stole. And so he goes to stab her. And all of a sudden, this curse happens where they switch bodies. So the 17-year-old girl is in the body of Vince Vaughn, the serial killer. And the serial killer is in the body of the 17-year-old girl. Lovely. So then they go to high school and wreak havoc and 
it's hilarious the way Vince Vaughn acts like a acts like a teenage girl inside the body of this hulking maniac. So I enjoyed it. It was very it was very fun. Is the word that it's a fun slasher film. Yeah, which is odd, but it's entertaining and it's got of course the high school gig has got the funniest lines. So it's also a Blumhouse production. So Jason Blum's got his hands in it. Yes. He like he has his hands it. in everything. He produced it. And uh, the composer is Bear McCrary. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he does a really good job on the, on the, uh, on the score. Cause it gets, you know, the tension builds and then he has the light moments and it's, it's very good. Uh, of course, of course, Millie has this crush on a guy who doesn't pay attention to her and he'll figure into that. Well, of course. And so it's, you know, it's got those tropes from all those movies, but it's done in a way that you're really enjoying it. Good. Well, now let's talk about something totally different. Ammonite, which I didn't realize when I watched it that it was a true story because the first five minutes are kind of weird because they, there's no context at all in the film. It just starts and you realize it's a period drama. But Ammonite, th this is based on uh, real people. Everybody in this movie is a uh, famous... Uh, paleontologist, everyone. But I will say that it is loosely based. Let's put it like that. <laughs> okay. Now we're not sure that it's any of it's true, but it. I've heard the talking online saying that it's you know this could have happened, but uh, I, I I understand why some people would have trepidation about this film. It's very well, it's very graphic, actually. Well, it takes place in the 1840s, and Kate Winslet plays a paleontologist who is very decorated. Her name is Mary Anning, and the role is inspired by her. Okay, Very inspired. And uh, she lives on the, south, the southern English coastline with her mother, Gemma Jones, or Gemma Jones. Gemma. Gemma. And uh, her... her uh, glory days are behind her she's picking up sea fossils for to sell to local tourists just to get by another scientist rolls into town who wants to study with her and he is married to uh, and that is james mcardle and he is married to charlotte well well james mcardle plays roderick murchison who is also a very famous paleontologist <laughs> so all these people because after the after the movie was over, I'm like, I must find out more about these people. All of these guys are like historical major figures in 19th century archaeology. Right. And uh, so Sersha Ronan plays his wife and she has had a miscarriage yeah. and he is not sympathetic to her melancholy at all. And so the fact that it is, you know, mid 19th century. So he decides that he's going to keep her at home while he trots off to Europe for more scientific discoveries. And uh, while she convalesces and sh he asks Kate Winslet to take care of her 
and Kate doesn't want to do it, but she needs the money, so she says yes. And these two, which are, that is also possibly made up too. I, I I believe Mary Anning was doing quite well as as selling stuff to silly tourists in England. Yeah, it and just, so it, they were friends. They were all, all everyone in this movie in real life were friends, but they one of the things that they changed for dramatic purposes is the fact that. Uh, Mary Anning doesn't want to hang out with anybody that she's aloof and she doesn't want to, she doesn't, this is her thing. And she doesn't, she doesn't mind sharing her ideas and men keep getting credit for it. That part is true, but I think she was more uh, affable than the film gives her credit. Right. Kate Winslet's very good here. And so is Saoirse. Uh, but they clash as you know, because you have to have a conflict and then they fall madly, passionately, deeply in love. <laughs> and this is the mid eight, you know, the 1840s. So it's this movie is about what society expects of you versus what you want to really do. Now, I would up until uh, what did I say, Lynn, last night? Up until one hour and 20 something minutes, uh, this would be a good film to show in schools about uh, how women were undervalued as scientists back in the 19th century. But then. It, there's a very graphic sex scene with these two women, um, and it's it's actually them, and it's not body doubles, and they're doing things, and uh, that that will never get shown in schools. <laughs> so, um, it's an R. I don't R know, for I don't know sexuality and nudity. So, FYI, right? But Kate Winslet's not has never shied away from doing things like that. I, I don't remember that Saoirse Ronan's ever been. Uh, full frontal in a movie but um it is it's it it turns the film into something that it could have been and now isn't and well it, it's what i what i found because you know this is another oscar bait movie because of kate winslet oscar winner and Sersha, who has had four nominations in her young life mm-hmm uh, but I found it, it doesn't quite grab you. It's a, it's a little removed, a little distant. And I don't, I don't, I don't see them really having a bunch of chemistry together. I, I they're mean to each other until all of a sudden the, she sees her, she gets jealous of her with Fiona Shaw, Fiona Shaw, who's in the third movie in a month. She was in uh, Enola Holmes, and what what did you just see her in two weeks ago? Oh, um, Kindred. Okay, and so Fiona Shaw's working her butt off, and she's got a very pivotal role in this movie too. Also, something that probably didn't happen, but it's not really. I I, I do want to say I enjoyed the movie, but probably for the exact wrong reasons that you should enjoy the movie. I just think it's going to be a hard sell. It's directed and written by Francis Lee. Yes. Who has come out and said, hey, we don't know if this happened or didn't happen. But I will say that, you know, the, the women are fine. They're, the, you know, it's it just was I expected more from it. than A lot more. And, and that's, that's why I ex also expected a lot more from Hillbilly Elegy. Hillbilly Elegy, that's another Oscar bait movie. This, I will tell you, smacks of desperation to get Glenn Close and Amy Adams Oscars. 
And that is off-putting right away to me. Not like, I mean, Ammonite wasn't off-putting that we're going to have two great actresses go at it and they might be nominated, you know. <laughs> but... Um, but it's this is based on a book, a very famous book by J.D. Vance, and uh, people were looking forward to this coming out. Yeah, it's 2016 bestseller. Um, I am not against movies about people overcoming adversity. I mean, that's that's a running theme in a lot of movies, but this is not special. It doesn't stand out. The uh, Ron Howard directed it, and I am not sure what happens, but a friend of mine read the book and said, how can you make that into a movie? Because it is not very... Talking? Uh, no, it's not like a, a, a like it's not written in a narrative feature kind of way. So JD, yeah, Vance, but they said that about Gone Girl too, and that that translated to the screen wonderfully, wonderfully, one, yeah. Um, okay, so Glenn Close has lost Oscars seven times. Amy Adams has lost Oscars six times. Okay, no I amount don't of promotion. You can say you lost them. They just didn't win. Okay, they didn't win, but this, no amount of promotion is going to make me vote for these people at the end of the year. I'm just saying that. Now, it's hard not to be stereotypes in these situations because it's about Appalachia. Mm -hmm. So, to me, it is a gussied up mama's family. <laughs> and I'm not saying that as a snob because I'm from working class people. I'm the first one in my family to go to college. So I'm not dissing poor people who rise above their circumstances. Believe me. Well, Mama's Family was not about that at all. And the only good Mama's Families were the ones featuring Carol Burnett on the Carol Burnett show. The, the show, the, the syndicated television show, my parents forced that down my throat when I was a child. And I just really... Really, and I know Vicki Lawrence is a very talented actress, and and Ken Berry is a good actor, but everything they did in that show just just ugh, I'm I'm not a Mama's Family fan. Well, Glenn Close is salty. She is like Mammy in Little Abner. I mean, seriously, she should have had a corncob pipe, but she's got a cigarette dangling from her, and they both have terrible wigs. Terrible, terrible, terrible wigs. And they're basically lower class people. Uh, Amy is sassy. She was salutatorian of her high school class, but she got pregnant and, and uh, things didn't work out for her. She's very resentful. She is a drug addict and she is a terrible mother. And Amy tries to make her sympathetic, but there's no way this character, Bev, is sympathetic. And uh, J.D. goes to live with his grandmother, Mama, that's Glenn Close, and he becomes a Marine, goes to Ohio State, and then is at Yale Law School. Well, it's his story. It, it right. Was, it was his memoir. But now the movie's really about Mama and Grandma? Yeah. Okay. And the, the boy, J.D., is played as an adult by Gabriel Basso, who is, grew up in St. Louis. He, he was in J.J. Abrams' movie, Super 8. 
Yes, and he was on uh, the Big C on Showtime. Yeah, it was, so, it's been interesting to watch if you follow news stories for the last few weeks. How you would see all these stories about here's what to look for in the ward season. A hillbilly algae is rising and rising, and then suddenly the, the day the uh, people can actually review it, it's sort of like watching Lemmings. You know, <laughs> I mean that's how quickly it dropped. A few other films have done that too, but I think this was the most uh, precipitous of them. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, because um, it is it is all is in theaters now as of mm-hmm. uh, November thirteenth. But then it, it's going to be on Netflix November 24th. Yes, I, I believe Robert is correct. It's one of those movies, oh, we're going to talk about this at Oscar time. And then people mm-hmm. actually saw it. Yeah. I also think it's interesting this year that a lot of the films that are, almost all of the films that people are talking about for awards are in fact going to Amazon or Netflix or some other streaming service. I mean, we got uh, Hillbilly Elegy, Mank, the Sophia Loren film, um, I guess you could include Chicago Seven and uh, you know things that have already been out there a few times. Uh, the Five um, Bloods. The Five Bloods. Um, but yeah, but especially this awards season, it's like the studios are relieved that they don't have to play that game and they can just concentrate on making the big comic book movies. Um, it's <laughs> Wonder Woman's going to be the last standing. woman standing. That she's going to yeah. be the only one that comes out this year if yeah. it if it actually if it actually opens. Yeah. Actually I was um, actually. Um, talking to allied because they wanted to know our what our eligibility was for our movies because you know how some of the awards like the oscars are only they're only considering streaming if they were intended for a theatrical release however we consider streaming if they it's made available to us right so flyover country (laughs) so i i said you know that but I noticed one of the biggest movies of the year, Minari, which was at Sundance, uh, it's not coming out to the general public till February, <laughs> which fits the Oscar timeline. But they are releasing it in a few uh, theaters mid-December. Okay. So only is because- that going to happen here? People, well, as long we have the rule, as long as it's theatrical somewhere in the u.s and we have access to it we count it we don't it doesn't have to open in st louis by the end of the year it because in, we've done that with january and february releases before right we've seen them but, yeah, they're but they are not out. those for us <laughs> right so so minari is being talked about huge and it's a korean film mm-hmm. uh just like parasite was but um, I don't know. See, the lines about reviews and social embargoes are weird. But I just saw two movies that totally started my list. Okay. Um, these are for sure slots. And that would be Pieces of a Woman, Vanessa Kirby. Unbelievably brilliant. Okay. In a very hard watch movie oh yeah you were telling me about that and you said uh it's very it's it's not a very good subject it's not a pleasant subject no it's about uh, a a couple shia labeouf and vanessa kirby they live in boston they're having their first child it's home birth with a midwife and something goes horribly wrong and it's about the year 
that follows about their grief processes. And Ellen Burstyn plays her mom, and she will be nominated for Supporting Actress. I'm pretty sure that. And so those, but again, that will open December 4th in select theaters, but it's not on Netflix till January 7th. Huh. Well, did you also see The Climb? I did. Now, this is a weird one. I... <laughs> At first, it is. At first, I thought, oh, my God. Like movie. Because it was, because it's written in direct. It's written by two long life friends. It's directed by one of them. And it stars both of them. And I thought, oh, my God, this is such a vanity project. And it's this bromance. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to listen to all these, you know, men jokes which you, you know, but it's... And What's so, wrong with men jokes? Well, you know, sometimes it gets a little too inside. Uh-huh. So this is Kyle Marvin you and Michael You didn't mean men Angelo. jokes, you meant dick jokes. Yeah. Yes, just say it, okay. okay. Um, it's um, Kyle Marvin and Michael Angelo Covino. And they, made this, they made a short of this. Yeah, and then they got the funding to Expanded. do a feature, and they had it at Con. And the director of Con loved it so much. This was last year, you know, 2019. They, they loved director, it so much they sat on it for a year and a half. No, they they gave it an award, a special slot, and they gave it an award, and then they had this huge bidding for it. Ah. And Sony Pictures Classics picked it up, and then it sat on the shelf. So it was supposed to be released about four different times this year, and they finally have released it. So it's these two guys start off on a bike ride, and this is in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything. The one's getting married, and he's all excited, and he's saying, oh, she's so great. I can't, you know, I'm so excited about getting married, and... Mike, the other, the other one is with the other one's wife. Yeah, and Mike blurts out, I slept with her. And Kyle is like, what do you mean slept with her? And then it finds out that it started three years ago, but it's now continuing. So things don't end well in the first segment. But life goes on. Things happen. They reunite. He's in, Mike is invited to Kyle's family, which is a hoot. George Went plays Kyle's dad. Cool. Tal, Talia Balsam plays Mike's, um, I mean, not Mike's, Kyle's mom. And then he's got hilarious sisters. It's kind of like my cousin Vinny, that family. Mm-hmm. And so, so they all hate Kyle's new girlfriend, which is actually his high school girlfriend that he got back with. They're all like giving out cocktails at the family uh, Christmas. And the one sister says, but we don't like her. her." So it's, it's really funny, quirky family drama. It's like the Griswold's holiday. And, and so then these two, they have a very toxic friendship. They go on a ski trip. They uh, they keep reuniting and then betrayal 
seems to be the running theme of this film. So it's their adult years, but I would use the word adult loosely on these guys. <laughs> but it's very unexpected. Like your your jaw is dropping with these these offhanded plot twists. That's how boys talk to each other. It's like <laughs> what? But I will say it it gives you um I mean it's just it's just like not what you expect at all. So maybe that's why I liked it. I know Paul Harris called it one of the worst movies of the year. <laughs> but I guess it's just what you're what you can tolerate in terms of watching other people's friendships and how uh, you know that phrase with friends like these. Right. Well, speaking of that, um, I couldn't bring myself to watch Fat Man because I Mel Gibson is one of those people now like Woody Allen or um, uh, let's see. Some people feel the same way about Robert De Niro. Some people feel the same about Roman Polanski. He's one of these polarizing people that um, you don't want to give money to. So I had the link and I was going to watch fat man. And then I didn't, cause I like Walton Goggins and I think, uh, I like the premise. I just couldn't get myself to watch a Mel Gibson movie. Well, well I, I watched it, and what would you say, Robert? I was to say, I haven't watched it, and it's unfair to judge a movie based on the trailer. But it, I think it's one of those movies where, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the whole thing. <laughs> you get you get the premise. Okay, it's Fat Man. He's homicidal. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily. Okay, but I will say that I did. I gave it a fresh, you know. I gave it a. And um, I, I watched. I watched the piano. I, or no, the pianist. I sorry, the piano different, totally different. I watched the pianist because you know, like you, you don't want to judge the art versus the artists. And Midnight in Paris is one of my favorite films from the last decade. And so, yes, I can sometimes separate it, but I didn't think I didn't think Fat Man was the one that was going to get me to go back to Mel Gibson. No, uh, you know, since his fall from grace, let's just put it like that. He has made terrible movies. Daddy's Home. One and, and a very, very, very B movies. But he directed Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. So I was willing to give him a shot. I, I feel that, I mean, he did it to himself. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no taking away what Mel said, but how do you judge off-screen persona versus on-screen acting? Even without him as Chris Kringle in this weird film, it's trash. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it is. First of all, it's okay. So these brothers directed it, Ian and Ashim Nelms, and it's Santa as an action hero. This is not, I thought like, okay, they're trying to, you know, make the case for Die Hard and Lethal Weapon being Christmas movies. You know how people think that? Yeah. Um, so no, Die Hard is a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie is the Ice Harvest. Right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. So this is dark humor and very brutal action. What I didn't like is this plot is ridiculous. 
So Mel is Santa, and he's married to Marion Jean Jean Baptiste. She okay. is a she is an excellent actress, and she's fine as his wife. But he's getting pretty upset with the kids being more naughty than nice. So Santa is just crestfallen about all these bratty kids. Well, then we have Billy, who is the brattiest of the brats. Mm -hmm. He is a... And these characters are so stereotyped. My, well, hold on. My question about Marianne Jean-Baptiste, is she using her natural voice? Because she's British and everything she's in is American. Right. Uh, no, she tries to do American. I loved, I watched Without a Trace all the way for the seven years it was on, on CBS. I loved her on that show. And she's, she's like the queen of CBS procedurals. Cause like she, she was on there for a long time. Then she went, moved over and was on blind spot. And so she is really good at what she does, but is that Mel's uh, way of saying, uh, I'm not a horrible person. I guess because he is trying to play. They play Santa as this guy that lives in this small town, goes to the local tavern, drives a truck, and uh, they're making him, you know, less jolly, I guess. Well, he's, okay. he's tired of kids. Yeah, he's tired of kids. Santa he's, Claus is tired of kids. Yeah, he's really getting upset. So the, bre the, the brat is a richy rich type, but evil. He's the kid that doesn't win the best of show in science fair. So he threatens and uh, he threat he terrorizes the girl that did win. By so using, gets him a lump of coal. Yeah, which gets him a lump of coal. Um, and he contacts Walter Walton Goggins, who is in villain mode here and who plays a hitman. And he's very disturbed about not getting what he wanted as a kid at Christmas. So he is this hitman who this Billy kid calls up at the drop of a hat to execute hits on people he doesn't like. And he wants a hit on Santa. Which so, Walton Goggins is more than happy to oblige. Right. So it's his road trip going to the North Pole. I don't know what these towns are. But uh, it's just this patchwork quilt. Shocking. It, it ends with this big shootout because Santa really is an inner action hero. Oh, no, but Santa, he, he was, he sold out. He's doing stuff for the military, right? Right. I was just going to bring that up. Santa's workshop. Now, the elves are making parts for the military. And they're under military control. Okay. They snip all the elves' little bells off their shoes. Because that's not very military. No. Some of the parts are funny, like the, the elves just eat sugar all day. What's wrong but, with that? I mean, seriously, it's just, it's just terrible. It's a terrible script, and it's made worse by Mel's sad career trajectory because <laughs> he plays... He plays Santa with this deep voice. And it's just, it was painful to watch. It came out in theaters on Friday, and it's on demand in digital November 24th. 
Well, speaking of something that is absolutely horrible, I remember watching the Star Wars Holiday Special on CBS in 1979. I saw it. It was the first. The best thing about it, it was the first uh, appearance of Boba Fett in a cartoon in the middle of this horrible two-hour special, which starred everyone from Star Wars, including... uh, Luke, Leia, Han Solo, Chewbacca, C-3PO, Darth Vader, everyone that was in Star Wars and Empire, uh, almost Empire Strikes Back. But Lando's not in it because nor is Yoda. But Boba Fett makes an appearance in the cartoon. But also Art Carney and B. Arthur and Starship. Starship. Yes, I was getting <laughs> to Starship. And that is, 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 is everything you've heard about it is true. I have a copy of it on DVD. So when Star Wars Lego Holiday Special was announced a couple weeks ago, I said, I must watch this. It, it comes out on Disney Plus on Tuesday, uh, the 17th of November, and it is amazing. It is great. It, it is non-canon, so it's not real. But also, if you have not watched any of the Star Wars Lego specials, you should because it will, it enhances it. Because the way that in the Star Wars Lego universe, the way that the Emperor treats Darth Vader is just hilarious. He's, he's, he, he treats him like a boss. And he treats him n- not like a boss, like in lingo, a boss at like a job. And so, and so he just treats Darth Vader horribly. And he's very, the emperor is very sarcastic and it's, it's very fun. It's for kids. You got to remember. And once again, I will say this to remind people, Star Wars is for children. So if you're a 50 year old man critiquing the latest thing because it's ruining your childhood. No, that's, that's Star Wars is for children. Remember that. And this goes through every single trilogy. It goes through the prequel trilogy because Ray this is after the events of Rise of Skywalker and Rey is trying to teach Finn the ways of the force. And so she goes to a Jedi temple and she finds this mystical rock, uh, the MacGuffin of the force. And it goes and it gets her to go through space and time. So she gets to visit the original prequel trilogy. She gets to uh, visit the original trilogies. She gets to things, do things in her recent past, which would be the sequel trilogies. And also they do make a stop into the Mandalorian and Rebels. And it is very well done because it's not canon and it doesn't matter. And everyone that is involved in this is having a good time because it's just for fun. And if you can deal with that part, if you're not, well, this would have never happened. Screw that. It's for fun. Enjoy it. Watch it on Disney Plus And I think you'll have, it's only 47 minutes. You'll have a good time. I liked it very much. And they do keep things from life day. They because that was the whole conceit of the Star Wars holiday special. They're celebrating Life Day after destroying the New Order. So it's fun, and I enjoyed it, and I hope everyone can see it and appreciate it. I'm glad. I haven't had time. To, it's on my list. I, it's I 47 had, minutes long. You can see I it. I know. I'm looking forward to watching it. I hope I can get it in tonight. Now, lady and gentlemen... My wife wants to watch The Crown season four without watching seasons one through three. Is that possible? And should she do it, or should she start from the beginning? Is she English? I think it's possible. What do you think, She's Robert? Not British. I, 
She's Anglophile. I don't actually watch TV very often. I know my wife watched the first uh, season of The Crown, um, and I'm only marginally interested in English history. So, but nonetheless, these are events that you should know at least a little bit about. So I don't know that you're going to be mystified. Who's that woman with the crown on? <laughs> I mean, if but you they, just want to hear the, if you just want to see the Princess Die story, I'm sure it'll make perfect sense. Well, actually, I hear the best part is not the Princess Die story. It's Gillian Anderson as uh, Margaret Thatcher. And they say she does a better job of it than the Oscar-winning Meryl Streep playing the Iron Lady. Hmm. I think it looks really good. And, and based on what you know, I think it's easy to catch up. I have, I have not seen all of the, the previous seasons. I hear it's like Fargo, that like the third season's the worst. <laughs> but I, I very much want to see the battle between the Queen and Margaret Thatcher. And I want to see Princess Di played by one of my new favorite actresses, Elizabeth Debicki. Too tall. But she looks perfect as Lady Die. Okay. I'm a big Lady Die person, so got up to watch her get married to Saint uh, to uh, Prince Charles at three thirty in the morning <laughs> back in July, like twenty nine. I think it was July 29, nineteen eighty one. Got up to watch, uh, well, her funeral, which was really sad, mm -hmm. and then uh, when Will's got married and Harry. I actually went to a brunch when Harry got married that we all celebrated. Well, Lynn, it's not Elizabeth, it's not Elizabeth DeBecky doing this version of Lady Di. That's for something else. This is uh, Emma Corrin. Oh, okay. Yes, this, that, yeah. But Helena Bottom Carter is uh, Princess Margaret. Because, like, they change every season with everybody. Except Helena Bottom Carter was... Uh, Princess Margaret in the previous season and Olivia Coleman was Queen Elizabeth in the previous season. I think it changes every like two season or so. Well, it was yeah. It well, was uh, Claire Foy. Right. Because the young one. Now Josh O'Connor who plays Prince Charles. Oh. oh. No. Yeah. Or Prince Philip. He's really good. He was in that movie Hope Gap. Josh O'Connor plays Prince Charles. Prince Charles. He's he's very he's very good and uh, he looks really like him. The um, so no, I think it it's, it sounds very good. Olivia Coleman, when you see scenes, does a great Queen Elizabeth. But I think if you know the whole, I mean, how do we not know these stories? Well, that, that's why my wife. See, what I've heard from people is that this is the first one where Elizabeth is not necessarily a uh, hero. Like the first three seasons, they've built her up, and now they have to make her the villain. So it, you have there has to be some sort of something that makes her do the heel turn, as they say. Yeah, Vanessa Kirby, FYI, who's going to get an Oscar nominated for Pieces of a Woman, she played Princess Margaret in a previous season. Okay. And, and she also, and Ellen Burstyn said as soon as she saw her as as Princess Margaret, she knew she's, that's why she signed up for Pieces of a Woman. And Vanessa Kirby is a very, mostly known for stage work. And she did the streetcar named Desire with Ben Foster. Oh, okay. The National Theater. I think it's available. I think if you want to watch it. But anyway, there's a lot of really good talent in there. And wasn't John 
Lithgow, wasn't he Churchill? He was Churchill. Yeah. And he won an Emmy. I think yeah. they clean up at those awards. Another uh, future award winner is Queen's Gambit, and I haven't seen it, but everybody I know is raving about it. It's Anna Taylor Joy. Yep. In it's a story chess. of addiction and chess. I haven't seen it, but I, I have been planning, thinking about rereading the book because I'm a big uh, admirer of Walter Tevis, who's not a particularly well-known writer, although he wrote this, The Hustler, and The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah. Uh, all of which are well-known titles. But all of his stories are about addiction and people whose lives fall apart because he himself had been an alcoholic. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and so all of his stories like about chess. people whose lives get out of control. In this, yes. Well, everybody's raving, and apparently the costumes are just in, insanely fashionable and wonderful, and everybody wants them. And so Vogue did an article about how the costume designer selected the wardrobe. Well, I also wa I finished watching, speaking, last thing we'll talk about on television, Moonbase 8 on Showtime. I watched all six episodes. I watched it in a week. My wife gave up after episode one and said, this is stupid because it's, it's a very interesting, it's a very, it's alternate comedy. So you have to like kind of alternate comedy It's John C. Riley and it's Tim Heidecker from Tim and Eric. And it's also Fred Armisen. So it's, if you're not uh a Portlandia fan, if you don't like the pacing of that, I don't think you're going to like Moonbase 8. It's only six episodes and they're only like 23 minutes a piece. Um, but slight is a good term for it. <laughs> because I, I do think they set themselves up for a much better season two, but I don't know if this will make it past season one. It's on Showtime. It's on Showtime every Sunday night. The first uh, episode was last week and it's on for another five weeks. So I don't, I don't know if it'll make it, but there are some things that you say, I, I would watch it if it goes back on. Like, that's how I felt about BoJack Horseman. I didn't get it at first until like season three. And so many people kept saying, oh, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. And I, I did, and I didn't get it until the first episode of season three. And I said, I get it now. And that's what hooked me. But some, some things just take a while to build. And I don't know if six episodes is enough. For, I mean, that's still like a two-hour movie. Well, I gave up on Space Force on Netflix after, I think the fourth episode is when I stopped. I was like, I've seen enough. I have enough. Well, Robert, what since you've been quarantined and pandemic for the last eight months, what has been on your list that you would recommend for people to see, besides the stuff that you've recommended in the Riverfront Times? Well, oddly enough, uh, my pandemic tastes, I've watched very little new material. I've sort of gone into large cycles of very, very old films. Um, uh, have you folks already discussed the Belushi documentary that premieres on Showtime next week? I watched it last night. I did too. And, <laughs> and okay, how soon did you guess that that was Bill Hader's voice? Or did you not know? I didn't. I, oh, I Belushi in the, I didn't know that, okay. The whole, the whole movie I'm going, I know that voice. But every time you think of try to think of who it is, it sounds like John Belushi. And so I had to wait till the film was over and it said Bill Hader is John Belushi. I thought it was really well done, especially them using animation to to because they they were on radio a lot. 
And they have all these radio interviews. I was a fan of Radio Hour back in the day. And I was, actually, I saw Lemmings when it came through town here. With, Did you? Uh, one I, night I, only. I, um, I had those albums. I had the, yeah, yeah, I had I the vinyl albums. albums. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, but I also thought it missed a lot of things. And, um, and I'm not a fan of documentaries using animation, by the way. Okay. Uh, so, but one of the well, things. Would you thought, just rather it been over stills? I thought it was. I thought it was a creative way. It was creative, and I did. I do understand the point in terms of the narrative of Belushi's life. I also found it interesting, even though they don't mention this connection, that it devoted an awful lot of time to the movie Neighbors, which is also one of the things that Bob Woodward's book Wire, the Belushi biography, right. that. At the time, Aykroyd and Belushi's Widow hated for reasons that I do not think were legitimate. But it has an entire like 70 pages on how Columbia realized that Neighbors was going to be a disaster and how they chose to promote it. And that movie came out. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Yeah. It, it comes out with one, of, it, with one of the strangest disclaimers I have ever seen in a film. And it has a title card that says, the movie you're about to see is based on Thomas Berger's novel. When Berger's novel was published... And then it, critics said, and then it has all these great rave quotes about the novel as if they're trying to you know, convince you that you're gonna have to like this and you won't. And it was the um, director, it was the director of Rocky. Rocky, Johnny Hamilton of all, comedy yeah, and, genius, Johnny Hamilton. But, but in the middle of the one week after filming, uh, he calls up Harold Ramis and asks him to start right. directing it. But the one thing that the film does, and I, I have to wonder if, younger people today are even all that familiar with John Belushi. Um, but it does give a good sense of what a power he was when he first appeared and what what just sheer energy there was in all of those uh, segments that he did. I remember a friend of mine uh, who told me that he was actually angry when Belushi died, that you know that, that guy could do something so wasteful with himself when he was only 33. And when he when he had so you know when he was such a vibrant force in movies and on television. But well, they I, don't even mention the girl that uh, went to jail for giving him the speedball. No, they really don't give a lot of the details about his death. They do. They just, I guess they assume everybody already knows he's dead, so they show the headlines and that sort of thing. Um, but it was good to see a lot of the home movies and a lot of the early, you know, pre uh, pre Saturday Night Live appearances, yeah. like the 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 broadcast version of Lemmings, which. For a long time, the only place you could see that was on a fourth-generation copy on Netflix wow. of a videotape. It was just awful. Um, and so there is that. The interviews appear to have mostly been done from a book that was co-attributed to Belushi's widow yeah. um, for a, a biography that did come out a few years ago. It doesn't get into her weird conspiracy theories. No, um, it doesn't. She's also... All, which maybe she she's also has a big... Outgrown those. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, she also has a big... Uh, I think that was part of the that was part of the conditions that she would be a part of the film. And they had to have been working on this film for a long time because mm -hmm. Carrie Fisher and Harold Ramis are interviewed right. for this right. film. And mm -hmm. they've both been dead for at least two years. Mm -hmm. When you hear them on the scratchy phones, I didn't particularly like the the using the audio because it's so scratchy mm -hmm. and hard to listen to, but I liked the family, uh, uh, the reveal about the family, which I thought right. took a lot. Well, he introduces he, his mom and his brother. I thought his brother would be part of it more, but Jim, Jim's not. And uh, I liked the love story, excuse me, the early love story, because when Belushi was on SNL and I came to know who he was, he was one of the only married cast members. Right. 
questions. One thing that I think uh, sort of shows how things have changed in time is that um, the Woodward book came out in what, 1984, thereabouts. So Somewhere it's been a like long that. time. I have a and copy right here. <laughs> I don't have a copy anymore, in fact. But I do. one of the things that I think Belushi and Judith, or Judith Belushi and Dan Aykroyd objected to in the book, I think, was that it made them appear within the context of the time and the just that they were living in to be sort of like enablers, that they, because they like to smoke a joint occasionally, they couldn't be too intolerant of Belushi doing a line of cocaine. Right. Uh, and, and that they sort of come off. And it's kind of interesting for they having objected to the book for that reason, that in their interviews here, they do seem to have walked back from that position and seemed to realize that they did see him out of control and they're not, they're, they're not as defensive about it. Well, she also, uh, she thinks, she says that she should have gone with them to Los Angeles and her psychiatrist wouldn't let her go because she had to, right. she had to start thinking about herself, right. which right. I think is a cop out. But then again, She's very heavily involved in this production. So I'm mm -hmm. guessing she has to look a little better, kind of like Michael Jordan in The Last Dance. If you mm -hmm. want her to play, you've got to pay her game. Right. And again, because the interviews came from a book that she was also behind. Right. Um, it's obviously, yes, it's obviously her perspective, which is one of the reasons they have access to all the great home movies and pictures and things like that. Well, Tanner Colby... He he was the co-author of that book. He he they take a lot of time in that biography just crapping on Wired. Yes. Oh, so even that late, they were still down on that, which because again, I think, you know, if, if you if you look at it within the context of the times, there's also a lot of interesting uh, things about the perspective of the Woodward book. Right. And, uh, you know, Wired was turned into a terrible movie in the 80s as well. Oh, yeah. Sorry, which my, I did not did not see. It was awful. Let's <laughs> see. But was... we'll always have uh, Animal House and Blues Brothers, which are classics. And and 1941, which a lot of people are revisiting 1941, saying it's not as horrible as it was. No, it's just horrible. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not walking that back. No. But it's not Spielberg's worst film anymore, thanks to Ready Player One. So it's got that. Going. Whoa. <laughs> And you know who made that film bad? Steven Spielberg for not including any of his own stuff. <laughs> but so, Robert, what else? What else has been on your mind? Uh, what else has been on my mind? I've been systematically for the last three months, and I don't know why, watching all of the James Bond movies. In order? In order, with the exception of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, because I had just watched that for the very first time about 10 months ago. That is my wife's favorite Bond film. People say that. I don't understand. I don't understand. It's way too much skiing. But it, I really thought. It's really also the thought, longest one. Yes. I really thought that you that there would be something of interest in terms of the Cold War. But the fact is they really sidestepped the issue of the Cold War. And most of the Conor films, you know, it's, it's Spectre trying to make you think that it's the Russians or the Americans, but it's really it's evil Spectre. super genius. Um, so... Once I realized that there wasn't that political sort of thing I was looking for, I nonetheless persisted. Um, and then you got to go to Octopussy and for her eyes for uh, Octopussy only? was better than I remembered it being. But, you know, and I actually think, I think Roger Moore comes in very, very strongly and yeah, turns Bond into a comic character. Didn't let die. You can, you can tell by about somewhere in Maybe the Spy Who Loved Me that he's utterly bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's but he's got to do as many as Sean. Sure. 
Um, and it, it was around that period they really started playing around with genres for better or worse. They did a science fiction film. They did uh, essentially, you know, used elements of black exploitation in Live and Let Die. They brought in that ridiculous Southern sheriff from the TV commercials. Um, but they, they do start to get sillier and sillier. And so where I currently am, I just uh, watched Octopussy about a week ago. And so the next in the, uh, which I remember at the time being just almost embarrassing. I remember Roger Moore in a clown suit, huffing and puffing as he has to carry that bomb around. And it's not as bad as I remembered. It still well, sort of falls apart. Well, wasn't Oscar, what, what, forgive me if I, I was very young at the time, but wasn't Octopussy supposed to come out and then they rushed Moonraker first? They rushed Moonraker instead because of Star Wars. They were, right. And that's another thing. They're very into trends. There are lots of Jaws references in The Spy Who Loved Me and um, The Man with the Golden Gun, which is also one of the better ones, by the way. So are you going to continue once you uh, once you pass View to a Kill? Are you going to go on to Timothy Dalton? Uh, yes, I think I've only seen one of the Timothy Daltons. And I saw, it in a work, I saw it in a work print. Uh, so it wasn't even finished. Um, I'm right now, the next one I will watch chronologically is the wild card in the series, Never Say Never Again. Right. Which um, is which Thunderball. I, again, did not like at the time. Well, it's um, Thunderball. Yeah. And the truth is, I mean, I've seen... Let's see, there there are, I haven't seen the second Timothy Dalton before. And I've seen all the other ones since then, but I do not remember a thing about at least two of them. Okay. <laughs> and there's really only two that I've liked in in these subsequent ones too. So I so going back, I think there will be some new things about it. I'm trying to be a little more open-minded, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I recall liking For Your Eyes Only. <laughs> And um, I liked, uh, and that was when Sheena Easton was a big thing. Right. Mm -hmm. 81. You know, so that was that 80s, that, that early 80s, that Miami Vice, you know, kind of mm -hmm. vibe that was going on then. Yeah. But I cannot remember the Timothy Dalton ones. I really can't. And then uh, the- uh, Daylights and- License. License, was it License to Kill? License to Kill, originally license revoked, but they were afraid that people didn't know what the word re revoked meant. <laughs> and uh, yeah, those were a little more Cold War oriented. Yeah. Again, they, uh, compared to the other ones and, and less, you know, demonic supervillain. <laughs> yeah. And then when you get to the Pierce Brosnan ones, I was with him. And mm -hmm. then they had Denise Richards as the nuclear scientist. The world's right. not enough. Yes, that's and the, one the I have one... no recollection, although I know I watched it. <laughs> oh my God. And then the, the Halle Berry one is. Her really name's bad. Christmas. I, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Christmas. That's uh, Denise Richards. I, that's oh. what I remember about it. Yeah. Oh, I, oh. I contend, by the way, uh, and some people disagree, but, but I think Die Another Day is absolutely the low point of all 50 plus years of, of those films. Madonna's it is, in it. it is. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. As a fencing that's... instructor. As a fencing instructor, she wrote the theme song, and there's also an invisible car, so go figure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, is, that, that, um, is that the one with the Iceland? What's the one? See, I get them all jumped Oh, the up. Ice yes. Hotel. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. The Ice Hotel and the cars driving up the Ice Hotel. That was the only thing I liked. <laughs> you liked I that? Think, I think that was the movie that I had to take my son charlie he didn't have his license yet and his friend and it was a friday night and they just said could you not sit with us <laughs> <laughs> and i had to go you know find a, a, by myself that. on a friday night and i sat next to this couple and i go um my my uh 
my son doesn't want me to sit next to him. And they laughed. Well, that's yeah. how I saw Deadpool. I had to sit by myself <laughs> because my daughter didn't want, could you sit over there? <laughs> I know that was, it. that's that phase they do. They don't want to be, you know, they want you to take them somewhere, but they don't want to acknowledge your existence when they're trying to be cool. All right. So we got to wrap it up. Robert, yeah, um, real fast, there's uh -huh. some VOD movies that we like that we should recommend. You can get them on DVD, Blu-ray, or video on demand. And that is Broken Hearts Gallery, which it's we cute. really... It's, it's really cute. It's cute rom-com. And uh, uh, we have not seen the Woody Allen, A Rainy Day in New York. I have seen it. Robert saw it. It's one of his lesser films, and the reason is Timothy Chalamet, who is simply not even trying. Wow. Um, I'm not particularly fond of Mr. Chalamet in other films either, but you know, there's an interesting thing in Woody Allen films where the lead actor is doing their best Woody Allen impression. The funniest probably being Kenneth Branagh in Celebrity. Uh, but and or the Will other Ferrell. thing about it, yeah, and Will Ferrell. I, that that's another one I think is underrated. Mm -hmm. uh, but. Um, but Selena Gomez tries her best and, and is very good in the film, but the film, it, there's just not enough to work with there. Well, it was delayed for a long time and then the cast rebelled, I think. Against because Amazon it. dropped it, yes. It, it did open in Europe and actually did quite well. And I'm told that it was actually available, you could see it on airlines earlier this year. Well, <laughs> so he I was, was making a there. movie a year for them and then right. it stopped. <laughs> Yes, well, he, yeah. he has a film that hasn't uh, opened yet that will be here soon with, um, takes place at a film festival and I've utterly forgotten the name of it. So. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even know that that was happening. Yeah. Um, and Bill and Ted Face the Music is out Which, now. I like so a great deal. It's a little did. slow to get started, but it, but it's very much in the spirit of the earlier Bill and Ted films. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, well, good. Because now <laughs> it's cheaper because it's, it's mm -hmm. a DVD, yeah. you know, you can get it in the red box. And then um, Jungle Land with Charlie Hoonam. It's a boxing film or a fighting film. And then this Tuesday coming up, if you haven't seen this, Robert, I highly recommend it. It's The Nest. It's Jude Law and Carrie Coon. I have not seen it. Really, really good. So those are what's out on DVD, VOD. And then we want to say RIP to Alex Trebek. He was in on the joke the whole time. The um, they're they're running all the celebrity jeopardies. They have a thing uh, in a loop, all of them together. You got to go online to find it. Yes, but uh, that is it. And uh, tonight's the last night for the Tennessee Williams Festival. You can see Glass Menagerie. But I, I lied to you about Centralia. Excuse me, a new play called Glass. Which has the actress playing Amanda and Tennessee Williams clashing, and uh, it was commissioned in Chicago. And then it's all on. It's all online. It's all through the radio station 107.3 FM. So go to that website or go to twstl.org, and all the links are there. Excellent, Robert. Where can we find you on socials? Uh, you can't. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I detest Twitter. I have a Twitter account. It's one of the earliest Twitter accounts because the New York Times article said this new streaming service is launching online today. And so I signed up for it. I had no idea what it was or how it worked. It didn't do anything. And uh, 
I sometimes remember to check about every six weeks, I clear out my Twitter account so it's there, but I do not use it. Um, so no, you can't find me on social very easily. <laughs> but you but you can be found in the Roof Run Times. No, not really. I haven't written for them since March when they laid off my editor. You know, it's they, 2020. They had some, yeah, they had to make some drastic decisions in March, uh, very, very abruptly. And so um, the editor that I worked with uh, was one of the people laid off at that time. So that was the uh, last communication I've had with them. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm learning this right now. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> no, I was, I was doing something for the uh, Cinema St. Louis uh, last right. month, one of their discussions there. And, uh, you know, and Cliff asked me if I was writing for the mirror and said, well, you know, it doesn't look like it. So <laughs> technically <laughs> so you're still a member of the staff yeah. until they tell you otherwise. Right. Right. So, um, so unfortunately, yeah, and as I said, that's one of the reasons between that and the pandemic that I have paid less attention to new material this year. And instead of gone through these long cycles of older films and, uh, Watching Bond. And watching Bond. I went into their little Burt Reynolds phase earlier in the year. Smoking uh, the Bandit? No, I don't care for that one. I had not Gator? seen I had not seen Gator or White Lightning in many years. Um, Gator is the first film Reynolds directed. It's actually very funny. Uh, it, it was on it was on uh, like Sony. It's on it's classic. On all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I um, think I think you answered um, um, Roberts on I, my uh, trivia team for Cinema St. Louis. And I think you, because you knew Gator, we got uh, we got a leg up on that um, <laughs> category. Yeah, it was but, a um, category, I think. But uh, but yeah, and between that and the weirdness of distribution, I do think this is the year that streaming broke through, even to the surprise of people running streaming services. And I don't right. know that we've uh, seen all the repercussions of that. I don't know that theaters are going to be able to reopen in any way because you can't. I managed a movie theater once. You can't get by on seven people a day, okay? No. Especially when Warner Brothers is still expecting you to pay to give them ninety percent of your gross. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't. It's it just doesn't work. Um, and I think that's going to be difficult. Well, uh, Regal Regal shut down all of them. Yeah, and AMC shut down a few. I don't know if they've shut down all or not. And and I mean that's just. Uh, they shut down one of the ones on Olive. I don't know if right. It's... So West Olive is what I was told the, yeah. the other day that it closed. They're um, not coming Plaza back. was open for a while and it's closed now. Um, and what is, which one is it? Plaza. So, so yeah, I think we've seen big changes there. And I think when, when you see the fact that movies like Mulan and the latest Pixar film are going to streaming services, that, uh, that that's kind of Hamilton. what movies are going to be from now on. Hamilton, another example. And the thing is, the studios love this. They make more money. They Universal made a lot more money uh, with Trolls World Tour than they would have if it had been in theaters because they kept a larger gross, a larger share of the of the grosses for a longer period of time. They're not doing those traditional theater splits. And the money and so, went right to them. Exactly. So they love it. They've got no objective. And it's a way of getting rid of questionable films like Artemis Fowl that you don't know what to do with. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, so I just think that's where we I think that's the future. I also think that we're getting into something which I had sort of warned against for years, which is that instead of having one service that gives you everything and none of them really do, even if they claim to, you know, you're going to have to go to HBO plus if you want Warner Brothers films, you're going to have to go to um, Disney if you want Disney films, although they're not, they're not really doing anything with their old 20th Century Fox library. Uh, you're just going to see this breakdown where if you want to see something, somebody's going to be expecting you to hit your credit card for five bucks. Pay for it. You know, well, I, I think Disney's probably going to do something more with Hulu because 
They keep hmm. saying that they want to do all yep. these Hulu things, and then they never do anything. I think once they bought out uh, Comcast, I think that they're going to do stuff with the Fox library and the things that are uh, too adult for Disney plus. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good to know. But you know, one of the things, if you follow streaming services is the fact is uh, any film that is older than any, all of film history that is older than 30 years, let's say is pretty much invisible. <laughs> Except on TCM. Except on TCM, which is my lifeline. So <laughs> Love me some TCM. Yeah. Lynn, where can we find you socially? I am on all the socials and I am on uh, KTRS with Ray Hartman every Thursday evening at 1030. I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times, which now has a print edition again. Yay. And I have my own website, which is a work in progress, poplifestl.com. And I also am here every week with you, Carl. I am underscore Carl the intern on Twitter and Instagram. But since hockey hasn't come around, I have not been doing much with them. I'm also on the Maximum Movies podcast. And as I am in the studios of the Entercom family of radio stations right now, we want to say hello to them. They bought two more stations this week. They did. They did. They're closing down 963 Uh, Now 96, that is going away, but they're going to be picking up 95.5 and 104.1. So there's going to be some throwbacks and R&B for the Lou on 96.3, and they're keeping 104.1. So uh, there'll be a lot more dancing around here. So they got rid of the now and are doing the new. Yes, that is correct. Well, somebody wanted to put up a door, a sign on the door there where it says now and then put then. But that was not, uh, no one was laid off. So that's the best part. That's the best part. Well, thanks for listening. Support local. Stay safe. Yes. And and enjoy everything. The movies that you can watch at home. Robert, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. It's been fun. Bye-bye.